Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and watch me, or watch over me on this journey I am taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and all of that you give me, I will give you a tenth. And the second reading is John chapter 1, verse 43 to 41. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Thank you, Alex. Well, I wonder, have you got a physical place somewhere in the world that's really special to you? Uh, that you'd love to return to uh, as it holds significance for you, special significance for you. And do you have, if you're a Christian, do you have particular places that stand out for you with your relationship with God? 
So for me, a couple spring to mind. There's this venue in Skegness Butlins. That's like a holiday camp in the UK. It's hard to explain. But I was there age 15 on a Christian holiday conference called Spring Harvest in the youth meeting. And I'd heard the gospel thousands of times before, but that night in that place, everything about Jesus clicked. I knew he was real. Uh, I knew he'd saved me and I needed to respond to him. And so I did. They did an old-fashioned come down to the front if you want to give your life to Jesus. Step right down there in front of that stage. That's where I went. Another special place for me in my walk with God is this muddy field in Crickieth, North Wales. And tents like that. that those are literally the tents we stayed in. Um, went there every year. But a standout year, about a year after Skegness, 1989. Just great friendships. Felt like it was 10 days solid laughing. And just a really good time with God and his people. Now, what was it about those places? Was God especially present there? Are there places you can go to find God and you're more likely to hear from him or meet him in those places? Has God got favorite places? Because this encounter with Jacob, I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty that Jacob has with God, sounds pretty exciting, doesn't it? I mean, in our toughest days, a dream like that would be a real tonic, wouldn't it? And as we'll see in future weeks, life was going to get pretty tough for Jacob going forwards. But he'd always have this special night in this special place to draw strength from. Is there somewhere we can go for that? Well, we're going to have a look today at Jacob's experience, and we're going to skip ahead, as we just had read, to Jesus' take on this incident. And I reckon it shows us we've got something even better to draw strength from. So just two uh, headings in your outline today, wake up call and gripped by grace. Wake up call and gripped by grace, if that's helpful to you. So first, wake up call. As we join Jacob in uh, Genesis 28, he's basically on the run. And he's way outside his comfort zone. He's just lied and cheated his way to winning the blessing that his dad Isaac wanted to give to Esau. He's lied and cheated to win that for himself. And it's left Esau, his twin brother, absolutely livid, plotting to kill Jacob once his dad dies. So Jacob is his mum, Rebecca's favourite, and she wisely packs him off out of the way of a brother Laban, off to a brother Laban's house, out of the way of Esau. Um, So back to Haran, back where Abram's extended family were from, um, until Esau cools down. And the other benefit of him going there is that he can find himself a wife from within the family of promise, just like Rebecca was found for Isaac. So Jacob's got a long journey of several days ahead of him. And remember, whilst Esau was the outdoors, hairy, bear grills type, who probably would have loved a road trip like this, Jacob would much rather be at home with his mum than going on an adventure. And so Jacob's won the blessing, apparently, but is this it? Here he is, alone, uh, all on this lonely road out of Beersheba. He's got, probably got that knotted, kind of ache-in-the-guts feeling of homesickness. Have you ever had that? All the comforts, familiarity, security gone, separated from mum and dad and his brother in fear of his life. Is this, is this blessing? 
So as we get to today's passage, the question hanging over Jacob is, you know, Isaac has blessed him. Will God bless Jacob? Given Jacob's stolen this blessing by deceptive, underhanded, just plain old wrong, sinful ways, will God pass the blessing promised to Abraham then to Isaac? Will he pass that on to Jacob? Being as Jacob has proven completely undeserving of it. And the question hanging over us, over humanity, is will we, undeserving as we've proven to be, be blessed by God? So Jacob is held up throughout the Bible as kind of typical of how God deals with his people. So however we found God deals with Jacob here, it's worth asking, how is God doing that with me? Because whilst I'm guessing you haven't dressed up and worn goat skin and things to pretend to be someone else, um, to steal a blessing from an elderly relative, but if you're anything like me, you will have acted in other ways from a similar sinful heart. Acting in self-interest to make sure we win, to try and secure some sort of blessing from this life for ourselves and doing that causing us to turn our backs on God. Well, let's see what we can learn about how God deals with Jacob and how God deals with us. So not the greatest adventurer. Jacob's way of choosing a good spot to stop for the night is how far he's got when it goes dark. You know, good strategy, I suppose. And it's not very far as it turns out. He's still in the promised land of Canaan. So you've probably seen this when school kids are going to camp. Whenever we've packed our myth or our boys off to camp, what's the one thing they definitely take if they're allowed to? Their pillow. Not their iPad. No, they're not allowed their iPads. They take the pillow. You see them all with the pillows under their arms. But not Jacob. Genesis 28, verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. And it's here that he receives his wake-up call from God. Verse 12. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. Now, Genesis, remember, is great for getting us back to the fundamental basics of knowing what God is like, what we're like, and why the world is the way it is. What God's like, what we're like, why the world is like it is. And four things we can learn here from what is revealed to Jacob. So first, heaven and earth are not entirely separated all the time. So God can and does connect directly with earth. Um, I'm not sure what you picture here. I picture this classic film, the old David Niven film, uh, A Matter of Life and Death. Or Stay Away to Heaven, it was called in um, other countries. There's another picture there, Graham. Yeah, something like that. Except in colour. But it's probably more spectacular than that. Um, so there's angels going up and down. Angels, we don't know much about them. We know it just means messenger. We know the heavenly beings that carry out God's commands and purposes. And the vision seems to find them busy going back and forth. It's like um, the staff car park at a hospital on a shift change. You know, it's coming in and going out. 
So uh, heaven and earth aren't always uh, sort of completely separated. God can and does break in. Second, God speaks. He's personal with a voice, a personality, things to say. He's knowable, recognizable. He's not an impersonal, mysterious force or energy or he's just nature or anything like that. He's a personal person, separate from nature. So it's always worth just checking books and films and everything, just import ideas about what God is like. Just keep checking them against what the Bible says he's like. Uh, so heaven and earth connecting. Uh, God, is, God speaks in his personal. Third, God rules. He has authority. So verse 13 there, it says, um, above it stood the Lord. So all this going on, God stands over it. He's the king. He's the ruler of everything. Um, that phrase translated above it, above the stairway, could also mean beside, as in stood beside Jacob. But either way, God is ruling with all authority. I am the Lord, he says, over this scene. And he is personally with Jacob in such a way that he can speak to him directly. So it's not just that God is confronted with, you know, a holy glow or a sense of God's presence. He's confronted with God's rule and authority over heaven and earth. So again, God reminds Jacob, he promised blessing to Abram and then to Isaac. Will that blessing, um, and to Isaac, will that blessing pass to Jacob? That's the tension. Will it pass to Jacob, whose very name means he deceives? Who hasn't trusted God for blessing, who has instead tried to trick his own father for blessing? What will God say to him? Verse 13. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the, to the west, to the east, to the north and the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. So that's our fourth thing. So God connects with the earth at will. God speaks. God rules. And God blesses. God blesses. The same promises that Abram received, that Isaac received, now passed on to Jacob. And that worldwide in scope. And this is the fifth time that God has said his plan to bless Jacob's family is going to bless every people group in the world through this family's offspring. And there's more. The more promises of blessing personal to Jacob. Verse 15. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I promised you. So Genesis tells us what God is like. And there's a common misconception, isn't there, that God in the Old Testament is a bit grumpy. You know, he's all judgy and scary. And then by the New Testament, he's chilled out a bit and he's all mercy and love. That's how some people paint the Bible. It's a load of rubbish. Look at these promises God is making here. Look who he's making them to. And there's no rebuke. There's no list of quests that Jacob has to complete to win the blessing back. There's no pilgrimage. There's no eightfold path. There's no requirement to display being a super spiritual strong believer asked for. All we get is a list of things that God is going to do for Jacob and through Jacob. It's 
all God's gift to a sinful man who doesn't deserve it. This is how God deals with Jacob. And this is how God deals with us. See, God fulfills these promises to Jacob. His chosen family becomes a chosen nation. And from them comes a chosen one, a Messiah or Christ, Jesus. And through Jesus, through his life, his death and resurrection and his return in victory to heaven, he reconciles us back into what we were made for. Life in joyful relationship with God, at peace with him, our sin dealt with and forgiven. God blesses us with a life of enjoying a life of purpose at peace with him now and for eternity in the life to come. Never being alone, part of God's people. God saying to each of us, I am with you. God protecting us uh, through Jesus to bring us back, not, not back to a patch of land, but to bring us to heaven. So how do you respond to these promises of blessing to you, despite everything? How does Jacob respond? Well, he's gripped by grace. That's our second heading. But first, just to notice, he's blown away by the fact that he's just seen God. And there's a lot said about the place that he's in, isn't there? So verse 16, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the the gate of heaven. And there's a logic to what he's saying, isn't there? You know, I just saw heaven and earth connected. God appeared and spoke to me, and this is the place it happened. It must be a special place. You can see how we might draw that conclusion. Was Jacob right? Was God there because it was a special place and so it's a good idea for us to seek out special places like that? Well, I think there are a few clues in this Genesis text to tell us no. So verse 11, he reached a certain place. So it's kind of emphasizing it was just where he happened to be when it got dark. Verse 13, all that God's got to say about the place that he's in is that it's part of the promised land that he's going to receive. And then verse 18 and 19, um, Jacob marks the spot with a pillar and calls it the house of God. Now, come back to that pillar. But lots of people will tell you God's spoken to them personally in a way like Jacob's experience. And there are lots of testimonies, especially in countries with no access to the gospel, to a Bible, Lots of testimonies of God appearing in dreams to speak to people. And of course, God can and does speak however he wants to. Don't hear me denying that at all. God can and speak, does speak however he wants to. But it's my observation that when people want to teach people to be able to have an experience like this, what they do is add in a bunch of stuff that you must do such as going to the right place. They add in a bunch of stuff that you must have, such as enough faith or the right quality of faith, the right attitude, not too much doubt or things like that. 
But Jacob's pillar was his pillow. And I think we're supposed to find that funny. Jacob's pillow was his, funny, was his pillow. It's testimony to the fact that Jacob's technique for being in God's presence was to fall asleep. That was his contribution. His super quality faith right attitude was to nod off where he landed because it was dark and he was tired. In other words, it was all about what God did for him. Nothing about what Jacob did. Now, through the Bible, you see, God does go on to allow certain places like the tabernacle and later the temple to be where he was especially present for God's people, acting kind of like a gate of heaven, as Jacob put it. But we're in a different phase now of God's big plan to bless the world. So have a look at what Jesus does um, with these words from the passage Alex read for us from the end of John 1. And interestingly, this story begins with a place, but the insignificance of a place, Nazareth. So everyone in the world has got their place that they make jokes about. So here, I don't know, maybe Elizabeth or something like that, make Elizabeth jokes. In Manchester, where I'm from, the jokes are about scousers, so people from Liverpool. For example, what do you call a scouser wearing a suit? The accused. Uh, what do you say to a scouser with a job? A Big Mac and large fries, please. You know, just mean jokes, like mean-spirited jokes. Well, in Jesus' day, it was people from Nazareth that were joked about like that. <laughs> Nazareth was the joke town. No one would think to go there to meet God. And so Nathaniel, uh, who Jesus is gathering, is impressed that Jesus knew things about him supernatural. So I'll pick it up at verse 49 of John 1. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are, the, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you, I saw you under the fig tree. You'll see greater things than that. Then he added, very truly I tell you, you will see, and you'll recognize his words, heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So Son of Man here is how Jesus most commonly refers to himself, and it's language from the book of Daniel, referring to God's royal ruler. So who is Jesus casting him, where is Jesus casting himself in this vision now? Well, he's the stairway. He, in other words, the joining of heaven and earth is now on and through Jesus. Because on the cross, Jesus bridged that gap. He paid with and dealt with all the things that separate us from heaven. Something only Jesus is qualified to do. There's no other way. So now to meet God, to access heaven, we don't come to a place. We come to a person. We come to Jesus. How do we do that? Well, you get to know Jesus. You meet him. Through his word, by hearing and reading about him from the Bible. And as we do, God is at work in us by his Holy Spirit to show us Jesus, to experience him. And when we trust and believe in him, to bring him alive, to live in us. And we are physical, relational beings, aren't we? So God gives us each other, the church, other Christians gathered together 
to help us know Jesus and help us grow in Jesus. His Holy Spirit worked through all of that. Now we know as a congregation, as a church, local church, we know better than most from our lived experience that God being with us as we gather is not dependent on a place, is it? So the last two weeks, if you went with us, we were in a different venue, just a small lecture theatre next door. But God was still with us, wasn't he? God was still speaking to us. I'm a different person from being under God's word that week, and so are you. When I think back to that place I became a Christian, and when I think back to that muddy field in Wales, what do they have in common? Well, the places where the Bible was open, God's word explained, Jesus was proclaimed, prayers were said, people were encouraged. And I was challenged to just let go of my prideful rebellion and put my faith in Jesus. God's plan for us, his ultimate plan in eternity, and his plan now is for us to gather together as his people. But that can be anywhere because God is found in the person of Jesus, not in a place. So back to Jacob, he's gripped by grace. Verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey... I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return slavery to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God. Excuse me. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Now, don't be distracted by the if-then language. Jacob is not still being tricky. It's just the language of covenant. Of covenant. It's kind of contractual language. Now, the sense that Jacob's getting across here is something like this. Whoa, can it, can it really be that me being, having just been such a ratbag, yet God is going to protect me and give me everything I need? Can it be that God is so good that he's going to return me back to the home I've had to run away from? God is still my God, even after everything. Well, in that case, I'm going to commemorate this place. Uh, and I'm going to offer back a good chunk of the great things God has given me. Jacob is gripped by grace. He's done nothing to deserve it. Yet God has gifted him this blessing. And it's transformed him. As Brian shoulders with the water so well. It's transformed him. It's changed from saying to Isaac, The Lord, your God to saying, the Lord will be my God. God has transformed him from grasping and cheating his way to blessing himself to blessing others. So to finish, I want to tell you about another house of God. So here it is, last picture. It's on Burnside Drive in Burnage. That's the suburb I'm from in England, in Manchester. And it's just the home of our friends, Ruth and Pete. And I wish I could tell you that my journey from that room at Spring Harvest, from that muddy field in Wales, was an upward trajectory of maturing as a Christian. But it wasn't. 
And I think actually, at one stage, I was nearly lost. But somehow I ended up going along to that house, to their Bible study each week. And it was was nothing new. Ruth and Pete were my old Sunday school teachers, you know. They were just very familiar to me. It was nothing spectacular. Just reading the Bible and praying with other Christians. But surely the Lord was in that place. As the Bible was opened, as ordinary people on damp, cold Thursday nights encouraged and prayed for one another, God spoke to me through his word, through the relationships with the Christians in that group, through God's spirit at work through all of that. God woke me up and began to transform me. It was all him, nothing good about me. I was gripped once again by his grace. And the same can be true for you today. You don't need a special place. You don't need a special technique to hear from God. Just read the Bible or listen to it on your own, but especially with other Christians, and say from your heart, trusting in Jesus, the Lord will be my God. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your grace to Jacob on that night. And thank you for your grace to us. Thank you that you deal with us, not how we deserve, but by lavishing your love and mercy on us through Jesus. Please help us say from our hearts that you will be my God. Amen.